Hey everyone, as Danny said, we've got two readings. So the first one comes from Exodus 20, verses 1 to 11, and it's on page 105 of the Church Bibles. So starting at verse 1. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no, have no other gods before me. You shall, shall not make an image for yourself, an image in the form of anything in heaven above, or on the earth beneath, or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, and a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commands. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labour and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in the six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. And the second one comes from Hebrews chapter 4, verses 1 to 11 as well. It's on 1707 in the Bibles. Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we always have had the good news proclaimed to us, just as they did. But the message they heard was of no value to them, because they did not share the faith of those who obeyed. Now we who have believed enter that rest, just as God has said. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. And yet his works have been... Um, have been finished since the creation of the world. For somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in these words. On the seventh day, God rested from all his works. And again, in the passage above, he says, they shall never enter my rest. Therefore, since it still remains for some to enter that rest, and since those who formerly had the good news proclaimed to them did not go in because of their disobedience, God again set a certain day, calling it today. This he did when a long time later he spoke through David, as in the passage already quoted. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would have not have spoken later about another day. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who rent, enters God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did from his. Theref, let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest, so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. Good evening, everyone. It'd be great to keep a Bible open at Exodus chapter 20 and perhaps Hebrews chapter 4. Let's pray and ask God for help as we come to think about the fourth commandment. Let's pray. Our loving Father, we thank you that you speak and we thank you for your word. And We pray in the words of the psalmist that you would open our eyes to see wonderful things in your law. Uh, wonderful things for us and we pray this in Jesus name. Amen. Uh, years ago when my daughter Gemma was little we were down the library, the council library uh, getting books and I came across this one, if we can have it up on the screen, uh, Baxter the pig who wanted to be kosher. Uh, didn't read it, I just got it, took it home. Uh, Baxter in the book is sitting at the bus stop and a Jewish man sitting next to him sighs saying, I wish it was sundown and Baxter asks why 
And the man says, because we'd be able to have Shabbat or Sabbath dinner. And Baxter asks, what's that? And the man says, we light a candle, we lift our voices in sweet song, a Shabbat hymn, we share a lovely meal together and have a day of rest. Well, Baxter wants in and the man says, ha, you're not kosher. So Baxter works very hard to be kosher, so he heads into a deli and he gets all kinds of kosher food, pickles and raisin cakes and he pigs out on them uh, till his tummy aches. And someone says, look, mate, a pig is a pig is a pig. If you were a cow, you'd be kosher. So Baxter gets some horns, uh, starts eating clover and makes mooing noises, but no one cares, and he winds up being quite sad until the kindly Rabbi Rosen, there she is, oy vey, uh, she says, what's wrong? And he says, I want to be kosher so that I can have Shabbat dinner. And she clears a few things up for him, saying things like, look, you'll never be kosher, don't worry, you can come to Shabbat dinner, no one's going to eat you. Um, no bacon and eggs in that neighbourhood. Um, but she says this, it's a mitzvah, which is a commandment, to invite a stranger to Shabbat dinner, and you, my friend, are strange. So Baxter joins Rabbi Rosen's family, they light a candle, they lift their voices in sweet song for Shabbat, they share a beautiful meal together and Baxter rests. <sighs> Isn't that nice? Now, look, I know it's a kid's book and it's, yeah, it's absurd. Um, but a pig, and that's why kids' books are great, right? A pig who wants desperately, prepared to do anything to enjoy Sabbath. That is a far cry, I reckon, from the way we tend to think about the Sabbath. You might be forgiven sometimes for thinking of it as, the way sometimes Christians talk about it, as a burden, a chore. Oh, I can't do whatever. And that's the thing, we tend to jump to questions of what you might call scruples about the Sabbath. Can I go shopping can I watch the footy? Can I play footy? Can I paint my house? Or there's questions about the day. Which day is it? Is it Saturday or is it Sunday? What's the Lord's Day even? And they're not unimportant questions, but maybe they're not where to start with this. And in the next 20 minutes, I'm not sure I can deal with it all. But this evening, I want us to think about how this fourth commandment would have been heard by Israel in the first instance. Let's think about the what of it. Let's think about the why for of it. And then let's think about the way Jesus affirms it and fulfills it and, in a sense, transposes it into a bigger thing. And as we do that, that might perhaps take out of it, the Sabbath that is, some of the heat of our questions about scruples, like what can I and can I not do? And perhaps it might make us feel more warmly about the Sabbath, if you haven't been so far, maybe like Baxter. You might want it. And I suspect that's something that matters to us in our time and place where busyness is, you know, the badge of honour, uh, tiredness is epidemic and restlessness is rampant. And too easily Christians can just kind of buy into all of that, the way the culture rolls in regards to busyness and restlessness. So first of all, what is it? Obviously, a command. 
and you could argue the first hearers of the commandment might have thought it was the most important just by virtue of sheer real estate within the Ten Commandments. It's the longest of the lot of them. Maybe it matters most. The idea of the Sabbath is writ large across the first five books of the Bible. Uh, it gets repeated again, obviously, in the second giving of the law in the book of Deuteronomy. But have a look at Exodus 20, verse 8. Uh, there's a few things to point out. It's a command to remember. Remember the day. It means to act on it. It's kind of like Anzac Day or Christmas Day. You actually observe it. It's a holy day in verse 11. It's made holy by God through that rhythm of creation. He sees something else. And we can argue, look, there's no more holy day than any other. But this is saying to Israel, this is time where you engage differently with God. And the difference lies in its, well, Sabbath or Shabbat. In Hebrew, it means something like cease, stop. Cease from your work, cease from your labour. And if you think of the audience again, in the first instance, it's farmers, it's shepherds, it's domestic labour, it's living hand to mouth and worrying about where the next meal is going to come from. And God's saying, stop, I've got that. I've got that sorted out for you. Also notice, it's not just for some people. Look at verse 10. Who is it for? Well, your son, your daughter, your male and female servants, your animals, and interestingly, foreigners, they cease as well. They don't pick up the slack so a privileged few get to rest. So that's the what. What about the why? Well, God says so. That's why you do it. That's one level. But there's two things that are part of that. Uh, there's a Godward dimension to the Sabbath. Look at verse 10 in Exodus 20. You cease, if you like, to the Lord your God. In Leviticus chapter 23, verse 3, the Sabbath is described as a day of sacred assembly, to hear the law, uh, to pray, to respond to what you hear. It's time for God. But in a sense, the Godward aspect of all of this is kind of bigger. Again, it's grounded in the pattern of creation. God works six days and then he rests. And in a sense, you are stopping to go with the grain of creation. You are a creature. You are not the creator. You are not the one ultimately who fills your belly and sticks a roof over your head and looks after you. You know, again, in their world, there are no markets open on this day. There's no slaves doing the work. They really are going to have to trust God to care for them. So the Godward aspect in a big way is I can cease because of God. The Sabbath reminds Israel of the order of things, that God's in charge and that we're dependent upon him and that he'll look after us. So it's about getting in sync with the rhythm of creation, and the goodness of God. And that is life-giving. Danny, I think, alluded to it just before, just as an aside. Acknowledging your creatureliness and where you sit before your creator, that's a really key thing in terms of looking after your spiritual, your emotional, and your physical health. Like, when we forget that, a whole lot of stuff gets out of whack in life very quickly. 
Another part of the why is connected with, well, not just God, with people. There's a humanitarian aspect to Sabbath. Can I encourage you to flick a Bible open to Deuteronomy chapter 5? I think it's on page 257 of those Pew Bibles. And the audience this time is the wilderness generation of Israel. They don't remember Egypt. Uh, Why should they do the Sabbath? It's up there on the screen. You need to remember that you were slaves in Egypt, says God, through Moses. The Lord your God set you free. You've got to remember that Egypt for Israel was seven-day-a-week slavery. Another day, another brick, right? Uh, It's slavery in a machine with a god over it called Pharaoh. It's a system that's bent on growing and growing by consuming people to get big. And the Sabbath in Israel, as it enters the Promised Land, was going to be no, none of that. That's not how it rolls here. Once again, just think of the first generation of Israel hearing this commandment at the foot of Mount Sinai, as God says it. They're hearing that their God, who's just rescued them, is not like Pharaoh, that God in Egypt, re-enslaving them. It's remarkable stuff. I think we just can't get our heads around it. A legislated day of ceasing in the ancient world, that was unheard of. But Israel gets it, and we get get it because of that. I wonder if you could imagine uh, what it would be like in our society if, well, that system that's bent on growth by consuming people, called the economy, if it just stopped one day a week. I mean, there's probably people here who are sort of able to remember when Sunday nothing opened, but anyway, I can vaguely remember that. Uh, stores, 24-7 stores go 24-6, Amazon shuts down for a day. Uh, cafes and restaurants power off the ovens. Can you imagine what that would do, especially to the people who often tend to work in those kind of industries? Uh, the people that tend to be more blue-collar and low-income earner. Now, we might think, oh, if that happened, that'd be terrible, we'd have nothing to do. Maybe it wouldn't be terrible for them. Uh, One commentator, Peter Lightheart, writes, in our society, leisure is a monopoly of the rich, which is most of us, while the poor have to work multiple jobs to eke out a subsistence living. Sabbath redistributes and equalises rest. It treats slaves as persons, not machines. It guards Israel from organising time for 24-7 productivity and so defies the reign of mammon. It breaks the system of consumerism that drives prices up, uh, that overworks people who can't afford it and kills them. It's an act, really, the Sabbath, of sticking it to the man, if you like, because it's all about caring about people who normally wind up working long hours doing jobs that no-one else does. You know, we get the break, but they don't. So... So to bring it together again, it's a command to cease. It honours God, it honours your creatureliness. It's for your good, for the good of your body, your mind. You trust God to look after the world for a day. It's good for your heart because you're ceasing for the habit of hearing God. It's been a key spiritual discipline for, for, yes, Jews and also for Christians for a few millennia. 
it's worth us taking notice of. And it honours your neighbour as well. It's the handbrake on enslaving ourselves, sure, but also others to work in consumerism. We didn't read it before, but in Exodus chapter 31, verse 16, it's spoken about as a sign of the covenant, that binding relationship between the Lord and his people. It's a sign of their salvation. It's a sign that says, well, just like you did nothing to be saved, you can do nothing right now and you'll be set free. Now, look, I guess you might be thinking this sounds all very Jewish and Old Testament. What about Jesus? What difference does he make to the Sabbath? And just to make it easy for us, Christians have argued and differed big time over the Sabbath since Jesus' time. But Jesus does change things. Historically, the day changes. Not long after Jesus' death and resurrection, Christians start Sabbathing on Sunday and not to celebrating the resurrection. A recreation, if you like, a different kind of rest that he's brought us into. Uh, in the Bible, a couple of passages come to mind where Paul, I think, shows that things have changed in the minds of, well, the apostles. So we don't strictly observe the Sabbath like the Jews did. Uh, so Romans 14 verse 5, if we can have it up, is one of them. Uh, one person considers one day more sacred than another, says Paul. Another person doesn't think it's that important. Either way, you need to be convinced in your mind. But the key thing there is to not pass judgment further down in that passage in Romans 14 on others in terms of their practice. In Colossians chapter 2, he's explicit about the Sabbath. He writes there, don't let anyone judge you over food laws or with regard to a religious festival a new moon celebration or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. I remember a conversation really early for me when I got out of Bible college and went into ministry um, with a very godly lady, well-versed in the Scriptures. It was almost a bit like Baxter talking to Rabbi Rosen, but anyway. Um, she put it this way, the Sabbath is like a sign. For a bus stop, uh, telling you that something's coming. Paul says it's the shadow, the substance is here. And she said, once you get on the bus, you don't hang on to the sign, do you? Jesus has come, bus has turned up, if you like. We don't hang on to the Sabbath anymore. We don't keep it to be right with God. We don't keep the rules around it, the civil sanctions that are pretty serious about it, if you've read them. Because, well, Jesus has kept those for us. And her inference is, the sign is neither here nor there. Now, just to make it easier, again, I think yes and no to that. A yes, in the sense that, yes, the Sabbath is different and we don't judge each other about our approach to it, but it still matters. No, it still matters. Jesus affirms it like he never breaks the Sabbath. He's got no trouble breaking the rules that the Pharisees paste all over the Sabbath, nitpicking about what is and isn't work and stopping him from healing people on the Sabbath. He says things like the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. It's a gift given for your good, so embrace it. And another reason to take it seriously is simply because Jesus fulfills it. That's what Hebrews 4 is getting at. And if you flick a Bible open to about page 1707, 
Uh, it's tied to that idea that the Sabbath is of sorts a picture of a bigger rest that God wants for his people. And we read there before in the first three verses that Exodus generation, uh, that first generation of Israel, they hear the command, they hear the promise of rest, but they don't trust God for it. And they miss out. And Joshua, when he leads that next generation into the promised land, that still isn't really it. There's still a bigger rest. And so in verse 9 of Hebrews 4, the writer says, There remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did from his. Verse 11, Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest, so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. How do you do this? By stopping, ceasing. Stopping from trying to earn your salvation and justify yourself before God. That's how you Sabbath. You know, pointing to your scrupulous Sabbath observance compared to others and saying, God should look after me because of that. No, no. No, you trust in Christ and rest in him. You trust that his bloodshed at the cross pays for our stubborn resistance to how God made us. You trust that his bloodshed at the cross pays for our unwillingness to live with the grain of the way he made us. How it pays for how we won't stop and we make others keep working. You know, to fuel our acquisitive, consumptive appetites and we dishonour our neighbour by doing that. You remember the Sabbath and keep it holy by trusting in Christ for salvation. You believe him when he promises, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest for your souls. Rest before God. But we hang on to the sign. We don't just spiritualise it away so that we can get back to being busy. Now, Jesus has set me free so that I can work myself to the bone. That's not the idea here. The practice of a Sabbath is the concrete way, I think, that you show your trust, that you believe that God is actually right about your needs as a creature, you believe that he'll provide. There's this moral edge to it. When your creator says, I know you, I made you, I love you, stop take him seriously. So our questions then about how, the scruples, well look, bearing in mind Paul's warning about judging each other, about observing this day, I'd be wary of being too prescriptive. And the thing is, a Sabbath for a 40-something pastor who works on Sundays, it's going to look different to a 30-something mum with three little kids. It's going to look different to a shift worker, a retiree, an unemployed person. It's, it's going to be different. But to be a little prescriptive um, or descriptive, take your pick, uh, for most of us it's probably not going to be Monday through to Friday. Maybe it's going to be Saturday that you do it or more likely Sunday. Uh, a lot of us live and work or study indoors in front of screens. There's just far too much coffee that's safe for human consumption. Maybe a Sabbath means no desk, no screens, outside, out of your head, into your body. 
practically, you know, you cannot go from 100 miles an hour six days a week and then just stop on one. You may actually have to make some kind of effort on those other six days to be ready for the Sabbath. The idea infects every day, in fact. So again, you know, the uni crowd who are here, maybe you need to plan your life so that you are not doing assessments on Sunday. Uh, maybe there needs to be self-discipline with sleep during the week. You're not staying up late binging on another episode of Netflix so that you're so clapped out by Sunday. It's just not really a day of rest. You plan for the day. The irony is you actually need to work at this. And I think we get nervous about this because as soon as we start talking about practices and habits, it all just feels very legalistic all of a sudden, but that's not the point. I don't think this is easy or that we're going to nail it in one, but maybe it's time for you to make a start to think about it, particularly those of you here who are younger. You're setting up the shape of your life. It's time to start thinking about the patterns that you are going to follow and the habits that are going to matter. Uh, There's an American pastor by the name of John Mark Comer who's written a book called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. It's got some really helpful stuff in it. I find his conversation in that book about the Sabbath really helpful and this is his practice. So I'm not saying yours needs to be exactly like his but he says, to begin, just set aside a day, clear your schedule, turn off your phone, say a prayer... He writes, my family and I do this every week. Just before sunset on Friday, we finish up all our to-do lists and homework and grocery shopping and responsibilities, power down all our devices, we literally put them in a box and stow them in a closet. I mean, imagine that, a day without that thing. We gather around the table as a family, we open a bottle of wine, light some candles, read a psalm and pray. Then we feast. We basically don't stop feasting for the next 24 hours, it's the comb away. We sleep in Saturday morning, drink coffee, read our Bibles, pray more, spend time together, talk and laugh. In summer, we walk in the park. In winter, make a fire, get lost in good novels on the couch, cuddle and nap. The Jews call it the Shabbat Shluff. Honestly, I spend a lot of time just sitting by the window, being... And something happens about halfway through the day, something hard to put language to. It's like my soul catches up to my body, like some deep part of me that got beat up and drowned out by meetings and email and Twitter and relational conflict and the difficulty of life comes back to the surface of my heart. I feel free, free from the need to do more, get more, be more. Free from the spirit, the evil demonic spirit of restlessness that enslaves our society. Are you feeling that? I've been saying to people today, to be honest, I don't think I know exactly what he's talking about. But I'd like to know. I think it's incredible that we need a command to rest, to do something that is just so good for us that our God wants for us. God's law gives you something wonderful that sets you free. Yeah, you need to work at it, make every effort to Sabbath. But, you know, the good news is you're not like Baxter the pig trying to make yourself kosher so that you can do, do Sabbath. Christ has done the mitzvah for us and he invites us, strangers, 
to join him in his Sabbath rest, to rest from sin, to rest from slavery to another God who's going to work us to death, to rest from striving to do God's job for him, to rest from using and being used. How about we pray together? Our loving Father, we confess you are God and we are not. And you made us in wisdom, you know us and you love us. We confess that we are not wise, we don't live with the grain of how you made us. We reject your good ways and so we're weary and burdened. Help us to believe to believe that the promise held out to us by the Sabbath, your good command is good. Help us to believe that Jesus, the one who it points to, leads us into that greater rest from sin and death, that he works to win your favour for us. Help us believe that we can trust in him alone for rest for our souls. And help us to practise the rest he's won. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.